card. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. My ready room. Readier Room, not to be confused with Captain's Log. This is the only TNG rewatch podcast with actual insights from those who were there to see the magic happen. My name is Mitchell Sigrist, former Chief Consultant of Services at Paramount Studios, and with me as always is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs, former Head of Resources Management. Brandon, how are you doing today, this week? Doing, doing great, Mitch. It's a beautiful 18 degrees Fahrenheit here, and I'm sitting down with a steaming hot cup of Earl Grey, and I'm ready to talk Trek. Wow, that is the perfect Trek discussion environment. Um, any, is it not? Anytime you can make your tea hot, I always just feel just a little bit like Jean-Luc, you know? You stand in front of oh, the, uh, the, the stove with your kettle on, and to nobody in particular, you're like, computer, Earl Grey tea, hot. And uh, I always make myself chuckle. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a good time. So today, for our third consecutive week of episodes of New Record, uh, we are going to talk about episode three of the Next Generation, which is Code of Honor. And dare I say that this is the most topical episode that we have encountered thus far, um, especially Certainly. in. The- in this in this current year, this current climate um, of happenings around the world, there's talks in this episode of vaccines, talks of um, you know racial uh, relations, and it's 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 a it's a meaty apple to bite into. There's there's a lot to tackle here. Definitely, so much so that I don't I don't really know where to start. It's there's a because the quality of the episode is. You know, it it is what it is. It's not so good, but <laughs> what what the episode means, what it stands for, what happened during the production is, I think, the more interesting of the uh, of of the two halves here. And just to to really magnify that, there's the whole concept of the episode was initially the subject of a very very heavy debate which I'm sure you know, but I, I want to tell everybody to kind of set the stage for where we are as, as, as a production crew coming into this. Sure, sure. Right, so in this episode, like, the basic plot is that uh, Natasha Yar is kidnapped by this um, tribal African-influenced alien race, and because of navigating the, the pitfalls of diplomatic relations the enterprise has to bend over backwards to get her back in a way that's relatable or uh amenable to everybody while also preserving relations that they can get this like valuable vaccine from this uh alien race but Mm -hmm. the thing is that this plot hinges on the idea that um this alien race would find tasha yar desirable enough to to go through this effort of kidnapping her and like doing all this stuff because as soon as they meet as soon as she meets the uh like the king of this 
alien race, he's immediately taken with her, and it's it's a whole thing. Now, what makes this so controversial is that so many of our writers, almost half of the writing staff, just could not believe that Tasha Yar, Denise Crosby, would, would be so immediately desirable to somebody to cause this kind of drama. Um, arguments were being thrown around left and right. People are like, I mean, just look at her. This isn't going to work. The audience is never going to buy this. The other side was like, well, you know, it's science fiction. A lot of strange things can happen. Um, we can we can explain it. And it it really just dragged on for days and days and days. I mean, ultimately, the episode got made. You, you know who won. But it, it really begs the question of just considering that, you know, that alternate timeline where cooler heads won out and we weren't forced to consider the ramifications of um, you know, Tasha Yar being one of the more attractive members of the crew. It's kind of weird to say, mm-hmm. but well, right. So, I mean, you remember that that opinion extended far beyond the writers' room. You remember that day on the set, right? Oh my! God. Where there's, there's there's that particular line that Troy has to say, where she's telling Riker, I believe, mm. right? Yeah. Um. Uh. Troy needs to say, did I say Tasha? I meant Troy. You said right? Troy. You said Troy. Um, so, so I said Troy? Yeah. Okay. So there's that particular line that Troy needs to say where she's telling Riker that they took Yar because of how attractive Yar is. Right. And I remember that line took Marina dozens and dozens of takes to deliver without breaking down in laughter. That, that was one of my and, favorite uh, days on set throughout the entire series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, because... I, it really didn't take long before everyone was laughing with her. Right. And, and it, it, the entire day was just hilarious. It was. It was one of those situations where, like, everybody was so primed to laugh that, like, one random, you know, cameraman would giggle. And, and then suddenly everybody was chain reaction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we, we could not make it through. Um, yeah. But I'll tell you who wasn't laughing. <laughs> yeah. Denise. Yeah. Uh, well... It was unfortunate. She kind of wandered onto set uh, in the latter half of it and just stood there in the shadows watching. And by the time anybody <laughs> noticed, it was it was too late. But it, it was it was great because there were elements of mirth among the crew, right? Um, it, it, we, we really needed that at the time, uh, considering a lot of the other things that were happening. But it was it was a fun day. It was a fun day. I mean, you just got to roll with the punches. Um, you know, Denise eventually quit, so it was fine. All's well that ends well, right? Yeah, exactly. But what didn't end well, I think, is this episode itself. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that that little anecdote was probably the only little brief <laughs> bit of levity we got to the entire production of this thing. Um, right. Even going beyond the production and airing of this episode. There's just nothing um, in it. Like, you watch the finished product, and it's a big old nothing burger. Like, what do you... It's what, very... What's very the bad? It's 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 pretty <coughs> in, insane when you know we started off watching the pilot and uh, we thought, well, it can't get any worse from here, and, it and has, then it got worse. It, it steadily, it's just steadily gotten worse. And very worse. consistently uh, dipping mm-hmm. in quality, and mm-hmm. it makes you think: is this like a linear growth or an exponential growth? And how much worse these episodes <laughs> get over season one? Um, so. Why, you know, why doesn't this episode work? What's so bad about it? Uh, I think the biggest issue that we found was that it has so much going on 
um, in the episode that like it doesn't uh, gel very well. So just, yeah. just to go in like order, you have this diplomatic meeting um, during which like Tasha Yar attacks one of the diplomats for no real reason and nobody seems right. to care. Then there's right. a kidnapping. There's the concept of the vaccine. There's like a a lesson in cultural education during which the the Enterprise crew members forget what the prime directive is. <coughs> um, there's uh, a fight scene. There's resurrection from the death. There's this reveal that the society that has through all this time like subjugated women is actually like a matriarchal based society and the leader is chosen by who the the top woman wants to fuck it, that wasn't very clear that didn't make sense there's wesley crusher character development thrown in when he's not involved <laughs> yes. in the plot at all there's a random scene of Jordy shaving it's there's so much happening and none of it yeah None of it makes for a really compelling narrative. Half of the like yeah, the, and... the the top scenes are people just walking around on the the, the African tribal planet, <laughs> just looking at weapons and being like, "Oh, what are we gonna do? Oh, they have honor. Well, we have to defeat them honorably." Or like, what? The, this is fucking dumb. Yeah, and I, I I have to I have to just make a note that the entire script hinges hinges on on every character either making an extremely <laughs> stupid decision or a very out-of-character decision. Yeah. And it, it feels so cheap. It's, uh, yeah. it's not earned, is how I would describe every, it. it it's, it's definitely not earned. Like, every, every scene is a means to the end where, whereby, you know, the, the Enterprise actually comes into conflict with this society that they need a vaccine from. Right. But it, it does not at all, like you said, gel. It doesn't flow naturally at all. There's no no real reason in a later episode of this show this conflict like just couldn't have happened because there was no way to write an episode this stupid right you know i mean i i mentioned it i think the most glaring issue is just the misuse of the phrase prime directive which is yeah insulting because a lot of the best episodes of tng over its run are prime directive episodes and they yeah. they always very consistently have this standard of what they should and should not be doing with not yet developed planets, which is what the Prime mm -hmm. Directive is really about. Once once somebody's capable of uh, intergalactic travel and um, and teleporting, you know, which this uh, race is, they're not subject to the Prime Directive. Nobody's like engaging with the Romulans and like, oh, you know, we can't mess with them because of the Prime Directive. We want to influence their culture during this war we're having with them. It's like, right, right, it's fucking right. stupid. And on top of that, and we discussed this while we were watching it, it's uh, very hard to d to suspend your disbelief that there is a race of human-like people mm. um, who have developed a vaccine that the entire Federation can't get their hands on, but also have such backwards tribal-like customs. Right. Which again, the entire conflict hinges on that too. But it doesn't. It doesn't make sense that the the Enterprise would be dealing with a situation where they need something that that race has. Yeah, you know anything that they should that the, that that race has the the Federation should be able to to match them on technology. 
Yeah, definitely. It's just very clumsy. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, it's a resource of their planet that's making this vaccine. But then they go through this trouble of like, oh, Dr. Crusher can't replicate it because that would ruin the plot. And it's like, all right, if you're going to yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're going to make such contrivances, at least do so in service of a plot that's that's worth it. And right. Not just like definitely. a fucking just just I, I don't even know how to describe it. The uh the plot of this episode because it's 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 pulling from all these like strange ideas that are, that are coming together like that it, it, it show yeah. like, two writers and it had two writers yep yep and like one of them had this idea one i don't remember the whole story and the other one another idea and they kind of like mashed them together well, so and this is what we the way, the way it started out the way it started out actually the so so we had two writers a man and a woman mm. um catherine powers mm. and Michael Barron. Okay. And um, initially, actually, Catherine's idea had to do with a race of lizard people or something. Right. Yes. Um, we, I remember that being pitched. That yeah, that never panned out. Probably because it would have taken too much effort. Mm. Um. So what actually ended up happening was that both of these writers did end up having their own unique idea for an episode it wasn't necessarily one episode you know at, at the very beginning um catherine's idea evolved into this idea of this african alien race that kidnaps one of the white women on the enterprise hmm. and holds I, them hostage i remember i remember it was very explicit in the treatment that she as she you know handed everybody it was one of the white women yeah. on the enterprise oh yeah yeah it, it had to be a white woman um for reasons that i'm i'm not really sure of I don't. But, I don't question uh, the talent. I mean, you know, no, they no. they are capable of much more than we are. So I'm sure that there was a reason. Certainly. Certainly. And then uh, Baron's <laughs> treatment centered around this this climactic fight between two women. Like mm -hmm. um, you know, this is going to be like the ultimate scene in the episode. This this fight between two women, um, one of whom was a Cation. Yes. Yes. That 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 humanoid cat species from from the animated series i believe it was right there was it was um, a callback yeah 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 it was a callback it was it was a nice little reference um but ultimately you you see how these two kind of merge together and we never really did get the cation unfortunately but nah, they pushed um, for it but they pushed for it they pushed for it but yeah so that's that's where we that's where we started out and it's it's not a surprise that when you're making an episode that's an amalgam of several people's ideas that it it doesn't flow as cohesively and like not only were there several writers there were several several directors too it's such a oh, yeah. it's such yeah. a it's such a uh an episode by committee you know like yes of course we have a writer's room where people hone ideas and pitch them back and forth but this is really so many so many fingers in this pie uh I dare yeah say definitely so. like and Go ahead. Oh yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no. You go ahead. Oh well, 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 well. Thank you, Mitch. Yeah, no problem. I was, I was just gonna say that um, because of that, um, and also, also almost in spite of that, this episode got made because the thing that I think jumps out to most people about this episode is, of course, the race of African yes. tribal aliens, right? Yes, and. That decision is obviously questionable, obviously very strange. This this episode could have worked out 
if they had taken the same kind of cultural societal idea and just not made all of the aliens black. Right. Um, but this, uh, this decision by the writers would ultimately echo very, very far out into the, the casting process. Uh-huh, yes. Right? And um, I seem to recall there was a lot of drama. A lot of drama with that. There was. Um, like, mostly with our interns, they got they kind of got the short end of the stick when it came to that yeah, casting process. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so... Essentially, what what happened is the, the the script calls for the Enterprise crew to go down to the planet. Right. Right? Um, and we need a, a lot of extras um, in a similar way that we needed so many extras for the, the pilot episode. Star Trek in and the so, early episodes used a lot more extras on average, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And... Um, you know, honestly, I think it really just comes down to how genius Gene was about sourcing these actors. So right. we, we needed a lot of African-American people, right? So where do you go and for that? Where do you go for that? And I just, I wouldn't be able to tell you, right? Right. I, I wouldn't. And so I think it was Gene's idea to recruit at the local dog track. Right. It just, genius. So what ended up happening was we covered a bunch of people's bets. Uh, if they if they agreed to work with us for a couple hours, right? It was it was a very like I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, um, and it, it was an economic an economical decision. It was very very cheap. Uh, they weren't covered by the union, didn't have to be, so right. It just worked out incredibly well. Um, but yeah, I, I mentioned it before, man. Those those poor interns, they did not know what they were getting into when uh, no, like Gene put them all in a minivan. Drove him down to the, <laughs> drove him down to the track, and I was like, "All right, um, you guys get out. Just approach older. We need older, like thirty plus uh, African Americans. Ask them if they want to be on TV. Um, make sure they're black enough. It's a whole thing." I mean, well, yeah, yeah. That's that's just it. I the 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 black enough thing. Do you remember this? With the, I with the how they read their lines. Oh. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a good story. That's a good one. Yeah. Can you, um, do you want to tell it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I can get into it. I'll leave the racial as, drama as to you. I know that's a, your your, <laughs> your expertise. Yeah, that's really really what I want to talk about. Um, so this was on the first day of shooting. Mm -hmm. And all the extras show up on set in their African costumes, and we start shooting. And so, of course, Gene was on set. Um, and the only, the only thing about this particular situation was that Gene pretty much always skipped the table reads. Right. Always. And he said they were boring and, you know, far be it for me to question his genius. Right. Right. Um, but so this is his first time, this is his first time seeing this and we're doing the first takes and the actors are doing great. And in the middle of the shot, Gene yells cut and just just calls the director over to the corner and uh they're having a actually a, a very heated five ten minute discussion um before the director meekly walks back to the set and he, he calls over the the uh the extras and uh well no not the extras all you know the the, 
those with the with the lines, right? Right from the African uh, uh, society, from the African society. Yeah, and uh, he says, and I quote, "Could you read the lines more like a savage, like an African savage?" And all the while, Jean's standing in the back, scowling at them and nodding his head. And um, this really, really set the tone for the remainder of the production. And um, the this particular director, <laughs> I think, ended up having quite a bit of trouble. Yeah, with Jean. You want to talk about that? Like, it's like we can talk about that. Because I think a lot of people do not know the true happening of this story. Like it's it's pretty well yeah. known that yeah. uh, this episode of two directors when they got fired, why everybody's got their own theories. Uh, Will Wheaton thinks he was a racist. Um, it's it's a whole thing. If you ask, so the director himself, uh, Rust Mayberry, he'll say that he was fired because of his casting decisions, and that's actually true. Now we got a lot of the the extras from the uh, the the track as we mentioned, but some of them were just like Russ's friends. He's, he had a lot of black friends. Like you guys want to be in Star Trek and directing this television show? You know, come on, just put on this turban and walk around. It'll be fine. <laughs> the thing is, at one point in the episode, we see that Yar is being escorted by one of these African guards, but his eye is all like fucked up. It looks very strange. It's like swollen. Uh, it's closed. It's it doesn't look right, and it's not at all related to the plot. Nobody comments on it. That yeah, it's, it's very obvious out. when you watch the episode, right? And it's like one of those head scratchers. Why? 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 Well, that was one of Russ's friends, and he showed up that day with just a very clear and obvious case of pink eye. It was bizarre. So he goes in the makeup, and the makeup guys are pretty confident that they can just cover it up. It'll be fine. we got to get this production rolling. We don't have time to, to go find somebody else. Just get them out there. Go do the shot and pick up your $50 and go home. Well, mm -hmm. what, it, what ended up happening was that that pink eye spread around the cast and crew like, like a fucking SARS plague. It was wild. That's right. Yeah, That's we had right. we had to shut down I, I production to, for two uh, months. I seem to remember. I seem to remember you uh, enjoying a bout of pink eye from that little <laughs> debacle. It was not fair. It was not fair. I never even met the guy, and yet I <laughs> get pink eye two days later. Two days after this rando is gone from the set, it really halted. Like I said, it halted production when every level mm -hmm. of the of the production uh, crew is is stricken with with the incurable disease what are you gonna do so right. take a two-month break everybody's kind of stewing about it we come back suddenly there's a new director no word about it uh n never explained in fact he didn't even introduce himself he just sat in a chair and said action um it's wild but that is the true story and now you know it's another one yeah, of those mysteries solved yeah yeah absolutely What's nice about this episode is um, the ongoing cultural ramifications, I think. A lot of people watch Definitely. this and they're like, oh, I'm very, very happy to see more black people in Star Trek. And actually, and I don't want to give out too many details on this because this is not my wheelhouse. It's not my room to say. But I do have it on good authority 
that this episode was the direct inspiration for the adaptation of a certain Marvel superhero comic to the big hmm. screen. And I'm not going to say which one. You know, I don't want to give up the ghost. I'll just say uh, Ligon 2 Forever. And I'll leave it at that. That's very interesting. And I can definitely see the parallels there, you know. Right. Uh, advanced African society that uh, through their own hubris and ignorance still participates in uh, obscenely uh, violent tribal norms that don't make any sense. It was all intentional. Right? Um, like it wow. was a di direct uh, parallel to what was going on in Code of Honor. Wow. Right? That's interesting. So if you enjoy now, if you enjoy the work of one um, Chadwick Boseman, perhaps you owe Code of Honor a, mm, a thank you. Mm. Starting to make me think now. Right? Who could it be? So for for all of the uh, the positive impacts you might say this episode has had for the African American community, mm. I uh, seem to recall that at the time of airing that was not so much the case or you know in terms of the reception from the audience well the the climate at the time was already pretty hostile to between us and and the african-american at large true true so it was it was this whole thing right with the only black characters we had on the show um people were very, very unhappy. See, initially we thought, like, oh, man, we got... Which doesn't make much sense to me, but... No, I, I was just thinking, oh, man, we got Jordy, we got um, uh, the first black Klingon, or it's it's perfect. Like, this is going to be a very, yeah. very progressive, forward-looking show. But, no, instantly everybody was just kind of coming down on it. Why are the only black characters on the show, why are they both aliens? Why does one look like a fucking robot with a visor that... It obscures his eyes. Why does this one have a completely deformed head? Um, all of the African American characters were just basically space aliens in the eyes of the casual uh, viewer. In fact, a mm -hmm. lot of people were complaining that, like Data, the android looked more human than Jordy, an actual human. Oh yeah. The dehumanization of um, the our African American actors was a very big sticking point. And mm -hmm. when this episode aired, that did not, that did not go away. Um, I mean, when yeah. you ha when the episode is centered around a, a race of entirely black, braggadocious tribal warriors who fail to grasp societal norms of the Federation, while stealing a non insignificant percentage of their white women, it was not received very well. Uh, the mailroom at Paramount around that time was not a very fun place to be. No, it was not. It was not. But, you know, I can see where these people are coming from. It is, it is, it's, it's a very strange decision to make, for sure. But um, I want to pivot from, you know, all the, uh, all the talk about race, which is very topical, mind you. Right. Um, very important discussion to have. Got to um, start the conversation somewhere. Yeah, and we started it here. And uh, hopefully we can we can guide our audience down the path of correctly thinking about these kinds of things. I believe Captain's Log is going to also do their piece on this next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I did I did hear. Be about sure to that, tune so. into our friends there in the Captain's Log yeah. for uh, yeah more race relations Star Trek talk. Yeah.
But for now, for now, I'd like to pivot to um, probably the only other important part of this episode, which is when they go down to the planet. Um, yes. And the, there's two things I want to talk about there, both mostly relating to set design. Yeah. Where um, you... <laughs> they touch down on the planet, and they're talking with the leader or whatever, and he tells them to come to some feast. Mm. Um, and the... <laughs> the shot opens on what you said looks like a literal like theater stage right it right it's, there's just like a, um, a blank screen in the back that's that's just moodily lit it's yeah it's, it's supposed to be an orange sky i imagine because all of the uh the the tribes people are sitting around you know um surrounded by foliage and stuff like that uh but I, I honestly could not tell when that shot opened that we were supposed to be outside. Yeah. It just looked so horrible. It, it looks like, like a daytime talk show, the way that set was arranged. <laughs> it was really bad. I have no idea what they were thinking. What they were, like, it, it just looks so terrible. Um, and I don't know whose fault that is. I, I don't know who was designing the set for that. But Hope they got fired. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure they did. So... And it gets worse too because they go to like this this playground jungle gym to have the final fight. And yeah, it's, and it's, the entire set's just shaking around. Right, it's like you grab you know, one of the actresses grabs onto it and it just shakes because it's, it's got no stability. It's so cheaply made. And yeah, and they're 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 climbing around a jungle gym with those stupid spike things on their hands. Oh my god, those stupid things! So we didn't yeah. even make those things. Um, that Wait, was, what? That was not our prop. Um, so the, our prop master on TNG was, you know, everybody's got friends in Hollywood. It's just how it works. It's about your connections. And when you're a budding series, you try to cut as many corners, cut as much money as you can just to make the production actually happen. You know, you gotta, you gotta get a prop, even if you don't have the money to make one. And, well, actually, let me ask. I'll ask you. I'll ask the viewer at home. That prop was not our prop. What work, film or television show, do you think that prop was borrowed from? I can't even think of what was airing around that time. That that would. Well, it was actually an older film. Uh, I mean, I think it came out like ten years before our production, maybe like six. But um, those stupid like mitts with the nails on them and like the big knife jutting out of it that was taken from mad max oh no yeah and you can kind of tell it's got that that jerry-rigged not yeah not actually like one object but a bunch of shit like duct tape together kind of feel to it um all we had to do was spray paint them gold and they were perfect for this kind of thing you can kind of wow, see yeah, them I can see that. you can see them like jiggle around on the actress's arms because they were made from much larger actors like men right but yeah, it still ended up working. Um, I would say that that was a lot more successful than the set was, which again, <laughs> it definitely was. Yeah, it was like these jungle gym with lasers coming out of it. It was it was bizarre, but I think that in a lot of TNG and not even just early TNG, later TNG too, the sets were not so sturdy and not so like perfectly made. Mm -hmm. Um. If you look at like random screens around the Enterprise or random consoles, 
you know, you can see hints that they're just, you know, thrown together for TV magic and not nearly anything functional. Oh, for sure. But for sure. yeah, like this is very, very, you can't hide this. You can't like suspend your disbelief about it. Like you can. With some no, I, I think. I, yeah, I think if nothing else, they eventually learned how to avoid situations like these where the entire set, which is obviously made from, like, plastic, right, um, is, is not being interacted with so much. I want to um, ask you a question, not about this, but about okay. something else in the episode. How do you feel about the, the, that small Wesley Crusher development that's going on? Yeah, you would think that would be part of a, quote, Wesley episode. Mm. But uh, no, no, it's just kind of thrown in there. It seems a little out of place. It definitely it, seems it, out of place. It goes nowhere. It, like, he doesn't help with anything. That's the surprisingly. thing. Surprisingly. I don't... He doesn't save the day. Yeah, you, you think he's quite good at that these days. But. <laughs> I would think that... Because I like it. In concept, but I wish it did figure into the main plot of the episode because it's it's a very easy yeah. thing to do. Like they've already essentially yeah. done Wesley saving the day um, before, so why make this the B story when right when in an episode so crowded with otherwise uh, incongruent things? Um, so I like it, but I don't think it was handled very well. Concept yeah. is good though. Yeah, yeah, the concept is good. And I mean, though ultimately that's that's where his character was going to be going anyway. Right. Uh, so it, it really is all about where they place it into any given episode. And this episode was not the right one. I I did appreciate his acting a little bit more though, maybe because there was less of it. But yeah, I, I think I think he uh, he performed better in this episode than than the naked now, which was nice. Definitely true. And I think there's some a little bit of unintentional comedy, with which I enjoyed. Um, with how they kind of, once he starts like sitting at consoles and doing things, they're just like very cavalier about like, all right, Wesley, you do it. You know, you drive the ship. You be the <laughs> yeah. captain. Yeah. <laughs> Riker does that like Riker smile at him. He's like, all right, Wesley, you're in control. I'm going to go to yeah. fucking point forward. <laughs> yeah, you, you steer the ship during uh, during this moment of crisis. Right. It's how do you remember when they just like fired into space for no reason? They shot their phasers. <laughs> yeah, oh and my nothing? god! Yeah. See, that, that's another part of you know when I mentioned that the script hinges on out of character decisions. It's like Picard would never. I mean, despite the fact that they're a warning shot, I don't think Picard would ever fire a warning shot like that in later episodes as a first choice. Right. They're in the middle of, like, diplomatic, tense relations and negotiations as, like, they're committing this terrorist act. And Picard is like, just fucking shoot the phasers. Shoot them in yeah, the face. Yeah, yeah, and he's just, he's just gonna agitate them more. That makes no sense. Oh, another Picard thing was mm-hmm. his uh, weird French pride this episode. Yeah. You remember that? That was weird. I, I get his name <laughs> is Jean-Luc. And he, he has, like, an affinity for um, old things, like archaeology and whatnot. Although, I don't know if that was established at this point. But, yeah, Data's like, oh, French is a is an archaic language that nobody speaks anymore. And Picard's basically like, excuse you, excuse you. French is a cultured right. uh, sign of culture back on Earth. And Data's right, like, right. 
And then, then he starts pouting, and, and Riker, Riker kind of has to, like, cool him off. Right. And he's like, Data, I think you should drop it. And then he does that stupid Riker grin again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that Picard's French pride was actually supposed to be, like, a character quirk. Mm. And they thankfully realized that it was stupid, and they dropped it. Um, but yeah, yeah, we're seeing a lot of a lot of strange mannerisms from all the characters we know and love in these early episodes. Like Data is still very, very, um, I don't know what's the word, annoying. Yeah, he's very like, he's just fish, fish, fish out of water. Yeah, yeah, we well, yeah, way too fish out of water to be funny in any way. Right. And I don't know how long that's going to last, but it is extremely grating. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's kind of that Uncanny Valley thing where it's like, all right, it looks like Picard. It, it sounds like Picard, but but it's not Picard. It's not Picard. Yeah, 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 yeah you're right. You're right. It, it definitely makes it worse knowing these characters and then going back and watching them yeah. act almost like themselves, but not quite. And this this time it's without the, uh, the veneer of the intoxication from the naked now <laughs> to right. hide it. Right, now they don't have an excuse. Yeah, now it's just um, bad writing. I also want to talk a little bit more, maybe just briefly, mm-hmm. about um, um, what's what's her name? Why am I... Uh, Crusher? Yar? Crusher. Crusher, okay. yeah. Crusher bringing that African woman back to life, or the African dude. No, it was the woman. Was it? it was the, the woman. woman. Right, yeah, yeah, it was, it was the woman. Yeah, she just brings her back to life. Yeah, and nobody's like... No one bats an eye. Yeah. There's like, okay, she was dead. I can show you the medical record. She fucking died. And then I brought her back. And we're just like, what? Yeah, I don't think... I don't think they they use uh, whatever technology was used here. I don't think they use it ever again to bring someone back to life. Which is a shame, because you would think that that would be very useful. Oh, certainly. It's um, it's where the science fiction reaches the realm of just magic, which is never where you want to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you remember when um, when Crusher comes onto the bridge and just like starts reading an email on Riker's console, and you're like, oh, the, yeah, the the sickness in this planet is getting worse, and it's like, why is that information on the captain's console? It's what it's essentially just like a telegram email. Why yeah, is Crusher no, they, reading they it there? They have news feeds on their their uh, their little computers on the bridge. It's very strange. And yeah, the decision to make Crusher come over to the captain's chair and read it by bending over Riker and looking at a tiny screen was very strange. Right, and it obviously it's, it's just like oh, it's so tense. There's a lot of tension here. Um, you know, we really got to solve this problem now because the vaccine or the sickness is getting worse. Like, fuck off. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's so transparent. It's such bad writing. Mm-hmm. All right, I have um, a challenge. Find a scene where one character goes into the room on the Enterprise of another character in season one that is well written. Because last last time we had uh, Jordy walking into Wesley Crusher's room and just talking about his inventions and then leaving all without any motivation, and it was just ridiculous. In this se- in right. this episode, we have Data walking into Jordy's room while he's shaving again for no real reason, and it's just completely ridiculous. So the challenge—it's it's a complete non sequitur. It is find a scene in season one of one character walking into another's room, another's quarters, 
and tell me it's well written. We'll see if that ever happens. I uh, oh god, I guess I guess it remains to be seen. It does. That's, but we'll 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 definitely we'll we'll keep track of this one. It's a fun challenge well, because it's, it's at, at the at the end of the season we can rank the best character entering another character's room at, uh, scenes. Oh, I'm excited for that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's going to be nice. Because it's there's nothing to hide behind in in scenes like that. It's just character interactions. So it's just dialogue, really. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think, as we all know, dialogue at this point is not anybody's particular skill. Mm -hmm. So the last point that I have here that I wanted to talk about was um, going back to what you said before about the how difficult it is to accept of this like tribal nation outclassing the the Federation. Yeah. And we, we talked about this while we were watching it, but I think it's a good discussion to have. Um, compare the implausibility of that to the implausibility of the Klingons doing an, the similar thing. Because Klingons are another backwards warrior tribal society, right? Mm -hmm. But they have matched the Federation um, enough to have a war with them that wasn't just immediately over. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, like they 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 actually have like a developed society that makes some kind of sense. I mean, you you don't you don't have to put in effort to suspend your disbelief about why they act the way they do, yeah. or the fact that they can be successful under their social hierarchical systems. There's that episode, or rather, it's more like an arc. I think in season four, where there's a power struggle within yeah Klingon society. And it, it sheds a lot of light on that. And it's a lot of, mm -hmm. like, um, strict rituals and uh, power-based decision-making. You know, tribalism stuff. Right. And I, I don't know. I don't know if I bought it then. It's, it's... You take a threat like, you know, the Romulans, and it's like, yeah, they're kind of a ruthless race, but they also have, like, a very... Um, sophisticated, organized society mm -hmm. to the point where I get it. I get why they have like these cloaking devices and phasers and such. Um, not phasers, disruptors that are just like really, really uh, high tech. Like I get it, but with the Klingons, I I don't know if I accept it as readily as you do. Um, I accept that they would be like good fighters, but I would also expect them to be like in a tin can that the Federation just fucking explodes. Because hmm. while, you know, Klingons were studying the Blade, everybody else in the galaxy was studying astrophysics. Yeah, I guess so. But I, I think a lot of that is portrayed in just the, the build of their ships. They look very, uh, I don't know, primitive, I think. They do. When you see the interiors of the, the bridges and stuff. They do. But then why aren't they primitive? They look primitive, but they're yeah, just I know. not. They, they pretty much go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. They go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Federation, so I don't know. Yeah. And I, I guess I guess it's something I've just always taken for granted because it's it's the Klingons. They're such such a part of the greater cultural zeitgeist right. that I've just known 
I've known them to exist for my entire life, you know? Yeah. And I'm not necessarily, like, poking holes in that. Like, it's fine to suspend our disbelief for it, especially because Klingons work very well as um, a foil to how the Federation conducts business. Um, yeah. But the point I was making is that you technically should be able to suspend your disbelief in the same way for the, the society scene in this episode. But you just kind of can't. And it's weird when it's like, oh, you know, well, this one, they have a bunch of forehead uh, prosthesis, prostheses? Um, prosthetics? Prosthetics. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a bunch of forehead prosthetics. So now I can accept that they've made these technological <laughs> strides despite being, you know, oonga boonga. And it's like, no, nope, these, yeah, these other people look too much like people, so I can't accept it. Well, I mean, they are people. They don't look like people. They are people. <laughs> um, oh, no. But, yeah, it's... It's just... It's it's a, it's a kind of insight into how how our minds work for this kind of thing. Right. I, I don't right. know. I wouldn't quite call it, like, Uncanny Valley. Cause I don't think that's really applicable here, but... When something is too similar, we need a just a small gap from true humanity to accept um, unknowable things. Yeah, some of the more far-fetched things can be kind of excused when you think you're dealing with something that's not human. Exactly. So, it's... but I also think that we've spent, but at this point mm -hmm. in in the overall series, we've spent so much time with Klingons, right? That you know. You're just so used to them being what they are. Well, and I, I think it's a matter of like how they've been slowly introduced over the years. You know, I'm not gonna make that's uh, it's obviously very valuable, but imagine you know you're you're like me and you haven't seen the original series or uh, the animated mm -hmm. series before dealing with TNG, and your first exposure to a Klingon is Worf, and he's like got this weird sash and he's just like just a strange guy. <laughs> it's like all right, I guess. Um, I'm not sure how they're, I don't quite remember how they were introduced, like, gradually in this series. Like, what's the, the ramping up they get here? I, I remember very vividly the, um, what I mentioned before, that kind of power struggle in season four. But before that, I don't know how much focus they get. And maybe, mm -hmm. that, maybe that's like the big introduction of them for new fans. Uh, I don't yeah, know. I don't remember either, actually, but. But in this case, yeah. the fact that Worf is on the crew, I think, kind of also helps bridge that gap. Where yeah, you're like, all exactly. right, Worf's sophisticated enough to be on the bridge of the the Enterprise. So, yeah, I can accept whatever else they're going to throw at me. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you raise a good point, and it's going to be interesting to kind of think along those lines um, going forward. Mm-hmm. But there, there definitely is something about. I, I think you are right in a certain way about the this particular alien race just being made up of black people, right. you know, and that not working to its benefit. And I think, I think uh, lots of other people have kind of already made this point, you know, e even if they whether or not they realize that that's why they're making it, it's mm -hmm. just like I think everyone kind of universally agrees that it was just awkward to cast this race like this. Right. And it's not something that for multiple reasons. That is really repeated throughout yeah. the rest of TNG 
you know they'll they'll do like really small things like oh it's a it's a race of human looking people that all have a lion on their cheek like you know whatever Mm -hmm. um but it's no i mean actually they do they do do this there's that late season episode where they have the indians like the american indians the native americans Um, oh that's right yeah i'll remember that one and you would think that they would have learned, but that was a season seven episode. They had the entire run of the show to reflect on Code of Honor, and they right. just didn't. Um, and that episode has a lot of things up with it. You know, Wesley Crusher literally has a vision quest guided by by a <laughs> mystical uh, Native American mentor. There's a yeah. trail of tears comparison. <laughs> it's almost like they learned nothing. In fact, that one might even be worse. Yeah, because it doesn't have the oh, we're new. You know, we we made some. Nobody was really paying attention. We made some bad decisions. It was one one of the biggest shows on TV, and you did this. Every mm-hmm. everybody on set was like, "Yeah, this this will work." Yeah, yeah. You you actively had to be trying to make something offensive, right? <laughs> Oh, at least it's not transphobic. Um, before, That's true. Before we go, do you want to talk about Data's tongue slipping? <laughs> it sounds like you do. I kind of do. All right. <laughs> this is. I feel this is one of those things I feel bad talking about. I feel like really nitpicky talking about. But I'm just gonna say it. An android's tongue does not slip. They don't mispronounce don't... words. That doesn't make no. sense. Not in a way that they would immediately catch themselves. It's like, oh, you know, you program them to say it wrong. Sure, whatever. Or they, their AI learns it wrong. Fine. But no, it's not just like, oh, I said a tongue twister and I couldn't keep up. Completely mm-hmm. ridiculous. Oh, right, and like, right. he's numbering his jokes because he's such a, a robot? Like, no. And, so, and the, the tongue slip thing, we've already established Data as a character who apparently wouldn't say stuff like that because it's not literal enough. Right. Right. Like in the naked now, he's sitting at his computer asking what the. Needle in a haystack. Two birds with one stone. Yeah, needle in a haystack. Right. What needle in a haystack means. We've already established Data as a character who does not say things if they're not literal, which obviously changes much for the better later on. But at this point, to add add that little line, my tongue slipped. Yeah, it makes no sense. Right. Was was this. was this when Data walks into Jordy's room? Yeah, because he, he walks into Jordy's room, I think, just to tell him a joke. He's like, Jordy, I've got oh, joke right, number right. 663. Um, you're going to love it. And then he tells him the joke, and Jordy hates it. And then he's, his tongue slips while explaining the joke, and Jordy like, guffaws at him, despite it also not being all that funny. Um, right. Yeah, it was... Oh my god. I, I'm so angry with their the way that they treat Data in these early seasons. Data's pro- it's, it's very, very... Is probably my favorite character, and I just... This is just essentially not Data. Like, Data is very rigid rules to what makes Data. I talked about this last week, but it's... Yeah, it's so dumb. I think we're going to be talking about it every week. I'll talk about it every time it comes up, goddammit. No, because it is, it's so jarring, and Data is probably a lot of people's favorite character he brings a lot of life to the show right and uh when when he's not doing that be solely because of a an issue with the writing it's frustrating right imagine imagine writing in like the emotion chip subplot into season one data 
Like season one data is oh yeah is making human mistakes. He's getting drunk. He's having sex, and then he'd be like, "Oh, I wonder what it's like to have emotions." Like that wouldn't work at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> now that you mention it, it's very straight. Like data does a lot of human things, but he doesn't act like a human. Right. He doesn't like emote or not emote, but like he doesn't. He he is so obviously non-human in his dialogue that the juxtaposition of that versus when he's like, you know, screwing around with Tasha, yeah, it's very strange. He, Whereas he later like, season, he gets kind of jealous sense. over Tasha in this episode. Um, she they they like go to meet her on the planet, and she was abducted by this guy, and I think someone uh, asks Tasha like if she slept with him or if she's gonna marry him or accept his proposal or something. And Data's immediately on it. It's like, oh, what'd you say? Like, what are you going to do? Like, Yeah, yeah. So really, we're just looking at no consistency here with Data. At all. Which is fine. What's, um, what's your favorite Data episode, real quick? Oh, favorite Data episode. That's, that's too tough. I, I can't answer that on a spot like that. I, I think mine, I forget the name of it. It's the one where he's abducted by like this collector of rare things. Um, that was a good one, yeah. At the end, he, he actually like tries to kill him before he's beamed out and uh it's like wow data's gonna fucking kill a guy jesus yeah and also yeah that was a good one everybody thinks he's dead at the beginning of the episode and picard's just like all right let's go yeah (laughs) her fucking robot's dead who cares we'll build another one (laughs) good times in data data history all right i think that's uh, gonna just about do it do you have anything else you wanted to touch on before we close episode three of the readier room um well we might as well close it with a little anecdote i like it i like it so going back to uh the scene in jordy's room right where it all comes back to the scene in jordy's room it all comes back i mean much like a lot of last episode came back to the scene where jordy walked into will wheaton's room this is why we're gonna pay so much attention to the character walks into other characters quarters scenes there's there's so much to work with um and so jordy and you'll you'll remember how awkward this looks when when we were watching it jordy's using this like i don't know smooth blue cube thing <laughs> yeah to, to to shave and it, it's not even making contact with his face right he's just holding it and yeah he's just he's just holding it and uh it just looks like a block and there's this lay this this line of dialogue from data where um he mentions like calibrating the razor or something. Right. So, you know, thereby implying that it's some kind of fancy space razor. Right. Hmm. Meanwhile, the audience again is just sitting there watching Jordy move this block in front of his face. Um, but it is in fact true that it was supposed to be a fancy space razor. Right. Um, there was supposed to be this special effect of this mild phaser beam shooting out from it onto Jordy's face, you know, to actually <laughs> shave him, actually shave him. Yeah, but it just it never got finished in time. You know, we were under crunch. We, we just couldn't get it done. So we just sent out the episode as it was. Um, but luckily, the racial tensions, the episode amplified, helped hide uh, that little mistake. Yeah, nobody seemed to care about the, uh, the razor effect in the face of all the, you know, stereotyping and prejudice. Right. So, you know, in a way, it's, it's really, really a good thing that the episode was so racially charged. Yeah, I think 
a butterfly effect, right? You know, one of the special effects guys gets fired, and ultimately we don't have the, the great effect of Jordy turning into a lizard person in season six. So Absolutely, yes, yes. Thank God for that. But, everybody, that will do it for episode three of the Readier Room. We hope you enjoyed uh, Code of Honor as much as we did. And until next time, everybody, stay ready. The Troublesome Little Man Child. Consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. beginning, 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 beginning.